0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome back to this weekly episode where I'm joined by Anirban of Seven Investing. This week, we're talking all different types of stuff. We're talking Netflix's earnings miss, we're talking about Altium's botched takeover, we're talking about A few companies to put on your watch list, including an ASX technology company and a global technology company. And we also talk about innovation, the impacts of the Delta variant of COVID, what it means for hospitalizations, Freedom Day, and the world resuming regular programming. Are there any opportunities that will arise? I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Be sure to reach out to Anuban or myself via Twitter and keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening. Anirban, thanks for joining me, mate. It's always a pleasure.
1: Mate, pleasure is all mine. Um, you know, the only thing I was going to say to you is, you know, I'm not going to say this in a fun I'm not going to make fun of this, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say that you and I both are in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So, how better to spend time, but to actually do a podcast?
0: Oh, why not? You can do it anywhere, anytime. And we'll try anytime. and keep it on time this, this week. <laughs> um, we've come in with. So the way we generally prepare is we have a Google document and then we have the podcast when we're doing it remote. And this week we've pasted in five URLs and that's all we're going with. Um, today we are talking about uh, what we've been working on. We're going to talk about Altium's, um, I'm going to say, it's like a botched takeover offer from Autodesk. Autodesk have terminated it. Um, Netflix misses earnings. Bezos went to space, which touched on. we touched on um So Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic last week. And then we're talking about the Delta variant and market turbulence. Uh, And then we might just close out with some stock ideas for your watch list. So top of the show, we want to say you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Owen Rask. Um, Anirban is at 7amahanti. So you'll find all of that in the show notes. Jump onto Twitter. We've been talking to everyone. Um, Last week, we were talking about Treasury Wines. Heaps of stuff to talk about on Twitter, right?
1: absolutely No, uh, i can again encourage echo everything that owen said just come to twitter talk to us ask us questions give us questions give us ideas and mm. we will bring them give to the ideas. show we love your ideas yeah give us ideas yeah we, yeah we would steal your ideas and bring them here but we will acknowledge that we took your ideas and we'll you know if you if you're willing <laughs> we'll put your name out
0: <laughs> yeah so we actually had an email come in from steven who said a positive podcast idea, we should have a nightmare on Wall Street. So an episode where we kind of have a bit of fun with the the stock market and what would happen if Wall Street closed down. I even said, maybe we could even talk about the conspiracies that happen in stock markets around bots, market manipulation, leaky ships, the end of fiat currency, you name it. Um, so, so much to talk about. Those are the types of quirky ideas we want to hear, as well as companies that you want us to take a look at and chat about. Um, which I think the, the hardest thing for us is just narrowing down what you want to hear um because you know there are so many things that happen in markets so much noise we want to focus on the key points for for your week if you're an investor so um i thought we'd just kick off um what we've been working on lately maybe i'll throw it over to you first mate uh, last week you said you were working on emerging markets and payments for seven investing doing a report um is that are you still working on that or what are you, no. you do in the last seven days
1: no, so that report is out. Uh, actually really like that report because, um, yeah, because, you know, there's some very interesting things there. I'll just, you know, without going into too much detail, um, the the payment infrastructure in emerging markets is completely different from the payments infrastructure here. And uh, and when I say here, I mean, like, sort of the developed market uh, payment in, infrastructures, whether it's Australia or Europe, uh, Western Europe and, and North America. But that really creates opportunities. And that, you know, that, that, write-up was really all about that um yeah but now i'm focused on sort of finding our uh, you know working on our uh, recommendations for or working on my recommendation for august uh, and, and you know that's that's happening how does that that's... work
0: do you do it do you come up with the idea yourself or, and do you do the full research yourself then present it to the team or do they do you work together collaboratively i know you do one idea each a month but how does that work yeah
1: so we, we each independently pitch an idea into um, the team. And we, sort of have, we have a stock presentation, uh, which we actually make available to um, our members. And it sort of gives you an idea of, of the thinking uh, behind the idea we have uh, pitched. And uh, one of the things that happens during this call is, you know, we get asked questions by, you know, colleagues and, you know, other advisors. And based on those ideas, I guess, you know, it's quite possible maybe that the idea you pitched is not good uh, Hmm. or that there is something that you forgot about or something that you should look into. So, you know, that sort of helps with, you know, refining the thinking um, behind uh, behind sort of the idea, but, you know, like last month idea, without going again into too much detail, last month I had a, I, you know, I thought it was a really interesting idea, uh, but there was an interesting, very interesting question that was asked, which, you know, which made me do some thinking. There was an aspect mm. that I hadn't really thought about in, at least in that particular fashion. And that made me, you know, do some, do some comp work, basically compare, um, a company today with a, a you know prior companies you know going back in time and sort of thinking about the trajectory and how you know how sort of growth has happened and what has you know how did those compa- companies mature over time and i think that's something very interesting because it sort of gives you perspective right and you know again those sort of things and and then i you know, one of the things I like about this is that it gives you an opportunity to write something. So you know, you do some research, you do your modeling, or you know, whatever work you're doing on spreadsheet, and uh, and then you can write about it and sort of explain what what you came uh, came out with. So, anyways, that was that was interesting stuff. So that, that's sort of the I I really like the stock pitch part of what we do because that sort of mm-hmm. makes ideas interesting and sort of the research. You know, it sort of brings it opens up the research to
0: a large. And it extent. gives you a chance to get feedback right and fill in the blanks absolutely yeah 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 cool i like it um we're we're trying to do something similar with the the analyst team now where it's it's a bit more top down with us so i think with it's more so me directing some of the the guys that are newer analysts to the team just directing them um and then checking in every week as a group um i think one of the things where I think one of the things where I see a lot of funds fall down is that it becomes too much of decision by committee. And oftentimes when you have a committee making decisions, you actually, you often end up losing your edges because the edge that you might have as an investor can kind of be rounded off by other investors who have an influence over too much of an influence over your decision making. And what I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing to seek feedback. I think it's really, really positive, but um, I think for investors' sake too, whether they're, say, joining Seven Investing or they're joining RASC, it's also good to know who's making the decision. Um, I feel like that's for transparency. It's also really good too. But, yeah, so we've, that's what basically we've been doing. Um, we've been doing those internally and trying to figure out how we can scale our research. So um, what I specifically mean is typically at RASC, because we've had such a small team for a long time, like we've been a startup, it's been me, Catherine, Kevin, um, but now we're expanding the team. It's how do we go from being super high conviction and using a lot of tools to narrow down that funnel to then broadening the, the product suite, like having we've got rockets and now invest servers, while also maintaining that conviction. Um, it's, 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 it's a tough thing, but it's something that i got to work on. Basically, specifically in the last week, we've actually been working on releasing some of our quarterly reports and rocket reports. And one of those I'm going to talk about at the end of the show so keep listening and you'll find out uh, one of the companies that we passed on and why we passed on it maybe mate um the first key point of the show is autodesk terminating with altium we've talked about this before we've talked about the takeover offer there's takeover offers left right and center on the asx <laughs> right now you can't turn a page in the AFR, even if it's a digital page without seeing something about a takeover offer what happened here do you reckon
1: um, well, the speculation is that you know th- this was not there on the in the release that uh, Autodesk provided. So Autodesk basically, I think, went back to Altium with maybe a dollar or two more than what they had originally offered, and Altium said no, and Autodesk said, "Okay, thank you, good luck, we wish you all the best," <laughs> and basically walked walked over, uh, left. This, yeah, I, I think this, you know, this is this is this is going to be a test of the board and management, right? Because you know if now the next several years don't pan out as they might imagine is going to pan out <laughs> then uh you know investors are going to be really really grumpy that you got this offer at a pretty substantial um a premium to the then trading price which you just you know uh, let be so again we're going to know this in the fullness of time but again looks like they were not happy with the price. I was not really sure. We discussed this last time, so you know, and you know, I both sort of agreed that the price sort of was right. Um, mm. And you know, any more than this <laughs> sounds like paying way too much, but I guess uh, GM's board thinks otherwise. And
0: yeah, there's a you know what is a little bit bizarre about this, and we've said that based on the valuation and based on management's recent execution, the risks in China, um, just currencies, everything, you name it it doesn't look like they're going to meet their own forecasts. So, and they need to meet those forecasts to get to a base valuation, which is, to be honest, probably still below the current price. So, this was, then the, the, what made this bizarre, I found, was that Altium then came out when there was speculation of a $40 bid, which was up from the 38.50. Uh, this is a quote from Chairman Samuel Weiss, who says, in response to media speculation today, Altium Limited advises that it has not received any further offer from Autodesk. or details relating to the Autodesk offer have been disclosed by the company in its ASX announcement released to the market on 7 June 2021. But then, now I'm just... This is fast forward to July 20. Uh, there's a quote from the Autodesk website from CEO uh, Andrew Anagnost, I think is how you pronounce it. He says, Autodesk has a long track record of, track record of disciplined strategic acquisitions. The quote goes on to say, while we did verbally improve our initial proposal, we were unable to agree on the basis to advance discussions. We respect the leadership team at Altium and wish them the best best with their business, end quote. So I feel like there was another offer, um, even if it was a verbal <laughs> offer. So um, maybe AFR reporting $40 an offer did well, actually happen.
1: Well, it is, it is a, there's an interesting thing here, right? So if given what Altium uh, has said as you hmm. quoted based on uh, the quote and given what um, Autodesk has said there's a question of you know continuous disclosure and you know I mean hmm. I'm not a big fan of the continuous disclosure personally uh, because I think it creates some uh, <laughs> uh, loopy effects after effects but this one this you know is an offer discussion I would expect this is definitely a disclosure item at least in my mind but you know maybe they th- they thought that since it's not a written offer it doesn't need disclosure and has been terminated so i mean, anyway it's very interesting I think <laughs> Yeah. So you'll it, know.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's actually one that I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive in tomorrow. Um, I'm actually going to do the valuation for our members live and show you how it kind of shakes out. Um, we we're recording this on Wednesday, July 21. By the way, um, yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating thing. So the rumor was the offer was at forty dollars. I'm looking at this now, and it looks like Altium shares are back down around thirty-three dollars. So
1: still higher than twenty-seven or sure. whereabouts yeah. they were, they were tra- you know, traveling. So people still think that there's going to be some miraculous uh, alternative offer show up, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. So um, yeah, well, I guess the good, the the takeaway here is that if you still own LTM, you still own LTM. So it's um, <laughs> it's still a business that's profitable. If it, management can deliver, then um, maybe it goes on to justify itself. They're very confident in their ability to execute. So if you back them, you know, maybe it works out from here. Next uh, topic for today's conversation, next URL in the document is Netflix earnings. Um, this is interesting. because This is right in your wheelhouse, mate. Um, I'll just read some headline numbers here that I got from CNBC. Earnings per share $2.97 versus $3.16 expected. So that's below the expectations. Revenue of $7.34 billion versus the 7 Three, two expected so slight beat there global paid net subscriber editions 1.54 million versus 1.19 expected so better than expected basically earnings didn't hit the other two did hit um everyone knows what netflix does it's obviously a streaming service um, but there's uh they have flagged more of a move into gaming Right in your wheelhouse, mate. What do you expect? What? What? Do, I know you don't set expectations necessarily for every quarter, but what did you make of this, generally speaking?
1: Yeah. So I guess there's a teaching moment here for us uh, to help uh, investors, or at least those who are beginner investors uh, or early stage investors. You know, um, I love these headlines when they say that missed expectations, right? So basically a bunch of analysts came together and, um, you know, there is a consensus. That's basically the average of the median earnings per share estimate of, let's say, 30 people. And uh, it's a win for the company if it beats that median or average, mm-hmm. and it's a miss for the company if it actually doesn't make that number. Now, I would be okay if you called it a miss if the company gave a guidance and then... Mm. The company missed the guidance. But if the company didn't give the guidance and it was a bunch of people, other people <laughs> who probably don't know the business as well, then I don't know what it means. Uh, so um, I think those are very beautiful headlines, which we uh, should ignore. Uh, I think the thing to note here is, um, you know, this there's still like, you know, doing $7 billion of revenue. Uh, it's profitable, um, you know, at least has earnings per shares that it can report, and, um, you know, it's it's 200 million plus subscribers it's got already. And I think the main point, you already hit the main point. The main point is that they're going to get into gaming, right? Mm. So if you think about the Netflix journey, long, the long-term journey started with mailing DVDs with only an online interface for selecting those DVDs. Then it started with streaming in a really small way, small catalog, expanded that catalog over time by doing deals with others. Then Started making its own content, right? Mm. And, and and that even when they make it made its own content, they made the content with others, and they had licensing arrangements and so on and so forth, even for those uh, those things. And eventually, you know, they had you know they basically took broader global license, and now they're going into gaming, and they're going to exploit their IP or the intellectual property in terms of um, you know all the content that they have on their uh, platform. So this is like you know maybe the fourth incarnation of, uh, or, you know, uh, you know pivot of, of a form or the other of the company, right? And I think long-term, what's interesting is that this is being led by a, a person who came from Facebook, who was leading the um, virtual reality and augmented reality uh, division. And it's interesting because I, I think longer term, I've always thought that Netflix is going to go in a big way into augmented reality, virtual reality. And, and you know, you'd have these content streaming Experience it would you know be in augmented reality form or a virtual reality format, and gaming probably is the is is a great place to start this. So I, I think this is again showing companies innovative over time, right? And this is the main mm-hmm. thing. The main journey is that innovative companies keep innovating, and as long as they're innovating, they could continue to be good bets. And I'm not saying that you should go out and buy uh, um, uh, Facebook shares. Uh, sorry, um, uh, Netflix shares, but yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, um, so Reed Hastings, founder of Netflix. Um, what I love, um, is you can still access the original Netflix culture deck on online. So you can go and you can see they've got this huge slide deck about what defines their culture. And some of the things are like high performance, honesty always was one that they got a bit of pushback on like honesty always because in a room of high performance people, adding mediocrity to that actually brings down the average and so they're always talking about you know even if it's brutal honesty it's 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 honesty and if you you know there's there's plenty of books about this too so um i would encourage you if you're interested in in netflix and its innovation and and its ability to attract and retain talent have a look at that culture deck because it's fascinating and we actually studied it on a retreat for rask that we had earlier this year um but just zooming out a bit and coming back to the actual topic at hand which is um basically this transition away from the focus on like net ads for um you know for 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 subs really it's it's mainly now moving across to okay how can we take what we're already doing and make it even better um and you we we see this with apple arcade right like apple arcade Mm -hmm. um it has subscriptions and whatever and you can access 100 games for free and, and all that stuff and then you've got Facebook with Oculus and it's pushed you can now go to facebook.com and alongside your social media chats have be playing one of the games in there um, And so Netflix isn't the only one and I think you know if we go back a few years we could see that a lot, the way this was going was that imagine your movie but you pick the ending. Um, or something like that, where you can get some more interaction with the content, and I thought it was really interesting there's a there 's a statement in here from Reed Hastings it basically says we 're not going to rely on you know consumer goods or other features like that what we 're going to rely on is basically our own intellectual property as well, so we 're going to take the expertise we have, take the great products and storylines that we have, and how do we make that better um, and I think that 's fascinating. Um, I don't really have a view on who wins it, but I'm quite happy owning Apple. I don't think it'd be a winner takes all. I think there's going to be many different places to get this, but having Netflix on your TV, on your phone, on your iPad, um, it definitely puts it in a, in a seat. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, the Black Widow movie, the Scarlett Johansson one. I'm not sure if you're into Marvel. I haven't seen it, actually. Yeah, so you you can. I paid full freight for this, by the way, so I don't know if I'm a sucker, but... Um, $36, you can, you can pay to stream it. And basically this is through Disney. So this is a Disney, Marvel's Disney, but it's the same concept. You can actually get advanced access. So go around the cinema and because we're in lockdown, I didn't think we'd be able to get to the cinema anyway. Um, but I'm really interested to see where that goes too. So this is the, not the first instance, but one of those instances where these big entertainment companies are cutting straight through the distribution of like, you know, the road shows and all that type of stuff and going straight to consumers with new content that way that they pay extra for um yeah i just think there's a lot of levers in an attention economy that these businesses have that people haven't really explored yet i'm not sure if it's the gaming companies like activision um ubisoft any of those i'm not sure if it's those that win um but it's fascinating anyway i kind of geek out of this stuff sorry mate
1: I uh, no, I think I I love that. And it you know, I, I'd probably agree with you. It's probably not winners takes all. It's probably a market. It's so big, right? Gaming is a huge market. Like massive. You know, it's a, such a massive market that there are multiple players. And there's a lot of regional um turfs as well as well in, in yeah. gaming right so what works in japan does not probably work elsewhere what works in china does not work elsewhere and things yeah. like that so but yeah love this stuff and it's great i, I just think you know that culture deck is really int- is interesting i think that it sort of speaks to netflix's very innovative style of um, you know going about doing business
0: and building in company so yeah, yeah because it seemed and this the thing netflix seems so simple If I think if you look at Netflix, you're like, why didn't we have this 20 years ago? I mean, other than say the internet, like it seems so simple. Like, yeah, just scroll through, pick pick a movie, watch a movie. Makes sense, right? Um, But that's actually, there's so much engineering and pioneering that went into that um, to bring that, I guess, intuitive product to us today. Um, If they can do the same thing with gaming, we know that there's a huge bell curve that's moving um, from left to right through the age demo that want that love games like i'm a gamer i love gaming um and the ability to pick my own ending with a with some goggles on would be super cool so um really interesting speaking of nerding out over things from one to another last week we spoke about virgin galactic richard branson taking a space flight blue origin also has now can now count itself as going to space with bezos riding in the New Do you want to tell us about this, mate? Because I, I didn't actually yeah, watch it live.
1: No, no, I didn't watch it live either. <laughs> you know, Branson basically, uh, I I guess, won up here. But what was interesting is you you talked about this last time. Actually, I remember this? Yeah, you know, the Carmen line, right? Which is what eighty five uh, kilometers or something like that. Yeah, or yep. is it eighty five kilometers? It's, yeah, it's about that. So this yeah, one actually about eighty k's. Yeah, yeah, eighty k's. So this one uh, was was above that, right? And they spent the total journey was about 10 minutes. So they must have been like, you know, I guess, weightless for a few minutes max. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, they could have seen, you know, through, this, through the glass uh, windows, they might have seen, you know, beautiful scenery of the art. So, I mean, this is, I think this is showing that this tech is getting there. And, you know, good demonstration. They had, you know, selected, they have selected people that there was an 18-year-old, there was an 81-year-old and, you know, Bezos himself and I think Bezos' is his brother, right, uh, were the people who went in this. So, so what I think is interesting to me is what comes next, right? Mm. That's really, you know, where is, you know, Virgin Galactic looking? How is it going to monetize? You know, the so if you think about Virgin Galactic, the current plane can only fit like what, I think eight people, right? Mm. Um, can you have a bigger plane that can fit like you know sixteen or twenty four or whatever? Not number of people. Then maybe does that change the economics of uh, doing this? Does it make it? You know, does it in- increase the um, the addressable market? Right? There's only be so many people who are going to be willing to pay. You know, <laughs> uh, several million dollars uh, to to go to space for like you know a few minutes, right? And it's a joyride for 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 for, for very very rich people. So. I think that's the next steps are really interesting, but I think that the this is technology demonstrators that have demonstrated that this is possible. and um, yeah, I think it's really cool. And again, the race, I think is is open uh, in terms of you know what next really it's it's the what next is what i'm really really interested in seeing is you know what you know are we going to be doing mining in the space or are we going to be doing you know regular journey to the space station or is the space station going to be sort of like a um, a transit point to go somewhere right are those things going to become more and more common you know when i say more and more common but you know is it something that's beyond um you know a few billionaires uh you know does it does it expand to others and how and and what are the other sort of you know lateral benefits what inventions do these things um, bring about so those are things that I'm I'm interested in but I think really cool that Bezos also went, um, yeah. And there were some jokes going around on the internet, which is oh, I, I love. You know, the Twitter can be fun. So um, you know, uh, while uh, Bezos was on Earth uh, momentarily, oh, sorry, was in space momentarily. Elon Musk was the richest person on Earth <laughs> be- be- because Bezos was in space. <laughs> so, 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 you gotta love, uh, gotta love these, you know, sort of lines <laughs> that go around on on Twitter. So, um, yeah. So, come on Twitter and have some fun.
0: Yeah, I am um, actually, I remember when I was on Seven Investing the other day, I think Simon intrad- uh, interviewed an astronaut, a NASA astronaut a while ago. I think it's about two years back and I found that. Was- it's only a 15-minute chat, female, I can't remember her name, but um, really impressive um, because if you think about innovation, like you said, these guys are flying literally rockets into space that are landing um, and people are coming back alive. Like this is incredible stuff. And um, to think about that um, and the implications for that for investors, for society, incredible stuff. So actually, I haven't watched the video, so I'm actually going to go and watch that after we jump off the call. But fascinating stuff there, mate. Um, So there is probably the big topic in front of everyone is basically, you know, we're back in lockdown. Here we are. The Delta variant. We've heard a lot about it um meanwhile we still have the fears of inflation um unvaccinated people i think you mentioned in the show notes here that singapore's gone back to tighten its restrictions because i did let everyone out and i know that because lachlan who um is a contractor for the ras media site was having a beer the other day when we were uh when we were chatting and um at the pub in singapore and I'm guessing he's not there right now. So I don't know. I, I'm. I'm. It's. There's a lot to take in right now. Um. How do you make sense of it? How do you make sense of going back into lockdown? You know, There's a lot of political argy bargy around this as well.
1: Yeah. So we, no, we're not a political podcast. So we didn't go into the politics of this. But I mean, I think what is I guess in the I think the market fears right. So the market, like the so Dow, for example, and you know, well. That we can talk about this another day, Dow tumbled by X number of points, uh, but, you know, only a few percentage points, maybe a couple of percentage points. But, you know, the the Dow tumble was also partly related to, A, you know, on one hand, inflation fares, on the other hand, you know, sort of Delta variant and um, the potential for Delta variant to actually cause further lockdowns, right? So, you now what I think everyone is watching is what's going to happen in, you know, the so-called Freedom Day in um in um, in the UK where masks and everything is going to come off it, it, it sounds a little bit it's it, you know like it's a, it's like it's been it's being built as the freedom day where you know everything is going to be open and you can just you know you know they feel confident that they've vaccinated enough number of people and there's just concerns about that but again what is what I think is ironic is the freedom day is is launching at almost the same time actually there has been some further restrictions for french folks to get to travel into UK because there's some other variant apparently in 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 France. There's not Delta. I don't know. If, I, I've now lost count of the mm-hmm. alpha, beta, gamma variants that are going around. But apparently there's a lambda variant that is now taking hold in uh, I think it's lambda in um, in France. And then you know, so the British people are, for example, worried about this particular variant. So it's a little bit of a of a situation. Um, I read, I think. The Canadian news actually is pretty interesting. Canada is now probably the most vaccinated country, um, really. uh, in in the world. Yeah, I think they're slightly ahead, maybe of Israel, um, and they have announced their plans of what they are doing, which sounds really re- reasonable. So they, I think they're in August they're opening their borders with the US, mm. and uh, and then in September they're basically opening their borders to the world, uh, hmm. you know, and. Uh, the only thing that you need is you need proof of vaccination with the vaccine that has been approved in Canada. Uh, So which basically means Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson. Um, And, and for those vaccines, then you can basically come in and yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you know, if you're vaccinated, you can travel, and you can travel out. CDC's, uh, I was looking at the CDC's guidelines in the U.S. So in the U.S., the, it, the, so the, the, the Delta variant fear in the U.S. is different. There are pockets in the U.S. which are severely under-vaccinated, and therefore there could be localized flare-up, and then you don't know what localized flare-ups do. Um, so that's that fear. But the CDC guideline in the U.S. too is that basically if you're vaccinated, uh, then actually their, their thing is don't test, go <laughs> wherever you want to go. Of course, if you have to go somewhere who wants you to test, then you test. Um, <laughs> but this is a little bit of, of all those things that's going on. Singapore, again, you know, is trying to vaccinate quickly, but they're, you know, further behind in terms of the total sort of vaccinations. So they had to tighten restrictions, which is sort of what our situation is. Our vaccination rates are, you know, around 12%. fully vaccinated which is pretty low which is why we are uh, sort of in lockdown across Mm. I guess three major major cities and until that changes you know at least what 60-70% I would think is probably in some number that's my guess I don't know I'm not an epidemiologist (laughs) and (laughs) and I don't have to make these decisions which is really a fortunate position to be I feel really bad for those people who have to make these decisions because these are tough decisions to make Um, but Yeah. So I think that's the, I think the situation with Delta variant, but, you know, I guess there'll be more, we would know more as these particular countries which have vaccinated um, with a reasonably high percentage. So Canada is, I think, expecting to get to 70, 75% fully vaccinated. And, you know, part of the, I think part of the game there is to vaccinate um, 12 and above. Right, okay. that gives you larger coverage uh, of the population. Right, so you get twelve and above, and you know, uh, if you're under twelve, there's no vaccine yet. But maybe there will be a vaccine for the under twelves. But if apparently, you don't under twelves don't need it. Well, that's what they say, uh, whoever they are. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, but but I think so. I, I think that's the key. You, you would get to see whether you know. Um, like, The Canadians and the 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 UK UK folks um, and the Americans. The Americans seem to be. uh, I I actually quite like what is happening right now in Canada. I I like that approach where while they're vaccinating at a furious pace, there's a lot of vaccines. Apparently, like you know, they're basically like inviting people to take the shot. (laughs) Please Mm. take the shot. Um, They have not yet gone mask free. I think, which is really smart. Um, You know, like I mean, putting on a mask might be an inconvenience. But it's a small inconvenience to have uh, versus you know lockdowns and all these other things, right? So mm. I don't know what their plan is, and I haven't actually looked at the fine print. As their plan is post um, post the date, you know, August and September that they've got whether masks are required or not. But it looks like there might be some guidance around masks in indoor places and things like that, at least until they have uh, more surveillance
0: data. It's interesting. I'm just looking at our, our word and data, uh, org, and they've got Canada is number one. The share of people that are fully vaccinated sits uh, just above 50% at the time of recording and over 70% for the first mm. vaccination. Um, behind them is the UK at uh, over 50% fully vaccinated and just under 70% partly vaccinated. Australia is down at around about 12% fully vaccinated and just under 30%. Uh, partly. But what's interesting, right, is you talk about the Freedom Day and you switch over to Bloomberg and you, you see that the UK is recording 40,000 new cases a day, um, which is looks like the, the second high, like not the second highest day, but the, they're in the second peak, if you like, after that, that one a year ago. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know.
1: That might not be problematic though, right? I mean, so it depends on what So the data from White House that I've read was suggested that 99.7% of the hospitalizations right now are among the unvaccinated. Hmm. So, I I mean, uh, counting cases, but if they're moderate to mild, then probably doesn't matter as much. Again, we don't know what the side effects are or this long COVID thing that people are talking about. But um, I I think there's this danger of case count, versus outcome count, right? And what really matters is the outcome count. So I I think the focus at some point has to be on outcomes. If people are not dying um, and Mm. people are not seriously ill, that they need ventilation, hospitalization, and things like that, the US data thus far seems to suggest that basically those people who haven't gotten vaccinated are getting seriously ill. Those people who have got vaccinated are fine. Their risk, though, is that those people—they have a large population, and you know, like what three hundred some million—and if you've got only fifty percent of that fully vaccinated, and that's part of the logic behind going after the twelve plus—is that you just increase the potential people that you've been able to vaccinate, um, and otherwise, you you know, you have this potential for, I guess, muta- mutations happening because you've got mm. this you know large cohort of folks that can help mutate um, things. So. I mean, I mean, the hospitalization is relatively down compared to the previous peak in the UK. But the the other problem I think with the UK one is UK has has done what I call a bit of an experiment in some ways, right? Because they've got they've given some people one shot of this and one shot of that. Um, actually, mm-hmm. Canada. My 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 dad got uh, who lives in Canada. He got one shot of Pfizer and one shot of Moderna. <laughs> 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 so its first shot was Pfizer and his second shot was Moderna um, and in the UK so the Canada's done that and given people one Pfizer, one this one AstraZeneca, one that and the UK has done the same thing I don't know whether there is some correlation here but you know th- those data sets would, would come out over time as to whether there's some difference in efficacy because of this mix, mix and match and, and so on
0: But there's, there's a huge fall off so to your point um, around hospitalizations for COVID I uh, peaked it over I think it was three thousand eight hundred in January uh, this year. And even now with this second peak in cases it's around about six hundred. So it's substantially down even though their cases are going up. Um yeah. so yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Which means the vaccines basically are
1: working. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. okay then. So to shift gears from away from the numbers to has it impacted your investing at all? You know, we just talked about Netflix and one of the things with Netflix is that you can see if you if you plot quarter-on-quarter quarter net um, global, global ads for subscribers, you can actually see that last year they added a lot. This year they haven't added as much, nearly as much. So did they bring forward a lot of that demand last year? Uh, and will this tail, this if there is a tail of cases and lockdowns, lead to any kind of difference or is it going to be like better is now an opportunity to buy internet and e-commerce is it not like do those things even matter to you or is it more like structural things like you wouldn't buy Netflix because of COVID you might buy it because of other reasons like gaming
1: yeah. So I think it's more, for me, it's more the latter, uh, exactly as you said. So, you know, you might want to own networks because you think that they're innovative and they're going to get into these other markets that have been underpenetrated, and mm. they're getting into these other verticals that would expand their revenue opportunities. Um, I mean, what I think, I think some structural changes have happened. And that's like, I mean, I wasn't a very prolific online shopper because I kind of like, you know, like, I like looking at stuff and shopping if I have buying. And I'm a very specific shopper. So I'm the only online shopping I used to do is like, well, I bought my car online and uh, I bought, you know, I buy my Apple goods online. but, (laughs) but, But a lot of the stuff I actually just, you know, would actually look at it and then buy I've just, you know, like I've just discovered the convenience of being completely online. It's really good. They actually drop stuff at your door and it comes to you. And if you don't like it, you can send it back. And it's really good. And, you know, people like Amazon, they're like really cool. They, you know, they, they're they delayed. They give you the refund. The stuff still arrives. You know, now you have like, you know, you've got your money back and you've still got the stuff. <laughs> it's 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 a really different experience, right? So I, I think it'll, there'll be some structural changes, And I think the other structural changes people would probably, this hybrid work environment is here to stay. Um, That has some impact, right? I mean, it not just has an impact. It's not about just uh, teleconferencing software, whether it's Zoom or whatever else, right? It's not just about that, but it's about technology and software that would be used. I think those are longer-term tailwinds that are here to stay. I think digitization of workplaces, you know, using modern tools. I think that's going to accelerate. Um, e-commerce, I think, has got a, you know, decent lift. Um, of course, you're going to see fluctuations, right? I mean, you know, everybody's buying online now, whether it's from Coles or from Kogan or whatever, or Amazon. Some of that is going to shift back to physical. But again, I think there's a, there's a good, I think, tailwind here. Um, same thing for Netflix. I mean, Netflix, I think Netflix actually, this analyst also need to think about netflix has now that we have a lot of choices there's this behavior about canceling things and coming back and that is related to content production schedule right so people actually come back to netflix because oh stranger things season four is now here and that Mm. is going to actually drive net ads and then one of the problems of the pandemic has been the shooting of movies was not happening right i mean you, you know there was like exactly so there's a backlog of in terms of content production that has to happen but when that content hits there's going to be people who are going to come back who might have churned out who are going to come back so oh, you yeah. know but again but the, that's something to consider but the other thing to consider is when it's going to be true for different streaming platforms the other thing to consider would be that they've got 200 million people out of you know, seven billion people on Earth. Let's say you know you divided by four, uh, that's the number of households, that you, or five, or whatever. You know, one point whatever billion you can think is the potential market in terms of like you know number of um, subscriptions they could sell. So that you know, it's going to be harder it's going to be harder to ask and they're doing these things about mobile and so on in different places, whether it's Indonesia or India or in Latin America, you know, they have small, they have different plans that they're, um, that they're selling. So I think you have to think about that as well. But I I really think, I mean, most of the big gains, like the huge multi-bagger gains have happened, right? Those come from that, you know, riding that S curve, but Mm. Netflix is still a large company that is still probably growing top line at 20, 25%. And it probably can do that for maybe another decade, right? And if you can do that for another decade, well, you know, if you buy it at the right price, that's a Mm. nice blue chip type holding to have in your portfolio. (laughs) So that's, that's the way to think about Netflix. You know, I personally don't hold it, at least not now, Um,
0: but me neither but um okay so coming towards the end of the show um we'll drop some maybe drop some ideas one thing on that that i've been looking at is the amount of people that i speak to who are taking off as soon as the world is majority vaccinated and they're going overseas and they're going on a holiday is basically everyone <laughs> um and so <laughs> that's something that this is not necessarily talking about lockdowns the recurrence of lockdowns but maybe the removal of them in, say, 12 months, like from 12 months from today, the vaccination rates is hard to see us going into too many lockdowns, in my opinion, just as a general kind of broad stroke. Um, and if that is the case, I think more people will be open to the ideas of travel. You'll be looking at things like Booking Holdings, which is the US owner of Priceline, um, even here in Australia, what if um, businesses they can, can do that and facilitate that transaction in a scalable way could bounce back pretty quick. I think i not, I'm not saying that's like not a forecast. It's just an interesting thing to keep in mind. I think if you're looking at what worked in the pandemic was these companies bringing forward a lot of um, ads. So whether that was Netflix, whether it was Disney, um, any of these companies, Microsoft, Google, what's the next iteration of that? I think it might be, um, actually return to air quotes normal. Um, I will throw one idea out. Um, and this is a company that I promised at the top of the show that I would mention, which is a company called Ava risk group. So that's AVA risk group. It's on the ASX under the ticket code AVA. Um, small cap company. I'll just get the market cap up. It is around about a hundred million dollars as we record this. So we interviewed um, CEO Rob Broomfield for um For our Rockets program, for our Beyond program, it's a company that was between our 10 and 20. So what I mean by 10, our top 10 obviously are our top 10 and then the companies that fall in between 10 and 20, we also release as bonus reports with the CEO interviews that we did with them. And um, so what does it do? Ava Risk Group basically has three divisions. It's got a business called uh, Future Fiber Technologies or FFT, which if you think about an airport, um, that might have a fiber optic cable going around it. And when you, when someone grabs on the fence to try and get on the runway, it sends a vibration through the fiber optic cable and that pings back and sends a signal to the security team. It's also used on things like undersea pipes, um, you know, all these different things, like even just monitoring of conveyor belts, which is the exciting part of the business. Second business is BTQ solutions, which is all about access control. So, um, this is sold through distributors and, and through big, um, international businesses, but basically think about like biometric scanners. Um, You know, if you've got a a server room that you need secured to only IT personnel, how do they get in? How are the doors encrypted? Whatever. Finally, they have a division called services. And services is um, a business that is a logistics business, but it's not like a normal logistics business. So imagine you're taking gold from here to there, from a vault to another vault, and it needs you know an armored vehicle on the way they don't actually do it they actually outsource the physical nature and they they have contractors they just effectively book them and make money from that so they have wider margins um so why i guess this is a business that sounds exciting probably the most exciting part of it we think is actually within the fft business the future fiber technologies they're actually going to use and they already have started with this they've got some um programs and projects already underway which is where they effectively use the the cable the fiber optic cable to um adjust and adapt to a a conveyor belt on the mining site and these conveyor belts i don't know if you know this but can be 10 kilometers long you know there's not small conveyor belts so if they go down for one minute or one hour or one day it's huge huge cost involved in unraveling that conveyor belt um, putting a new one on finding a new one repairing it whatever so this is all about them being able to sense Um, if there's like a a roller or a pin that's out of place or whatever it's a really exciting business in that regard so why didn't it make the cut i'll give you two things one is that we couldn't reliably predict the future so one of the things is that we know we're not going to be specifically correct we try to be generally right Um, the business itself is quite lumpy because it tends to get contracts and and win tenders that can come in and and then it can look profitable then the next half it's not doing too well what it what happens i find when i don't know you have butted up against this a few times mate which is when you analyze a business that is focused on government tenders and security and defense they can't give you details over what they're working on and you can't even get customer testimonials because they can't talk to you either. So it's very hard to get that see-through as an analyst or as an investor. So we couldn't really forecast that. And we like businesses that we can forecast. The business has high margins in one of its segments. um, But I guess the cohesion between the segments is our our other uncertainty. It's not necessarily a concern. It's just, if you look at recent numbers, um, it looks like the services business, which does that logistics, is actually the business that has grown a bit. Um, where we want to see the other business growing, which is the high margin business, sticky, stickier business. Um, and it's kind of been the other way around. Um, so this is a company called Ava Global. It's on the ASX ABA. We've written about it on Ras Media. Um, it's a business. It's probably deserving of a spot on a watch list. At least it's on mine. Um, it's not one that I own. Um, it's a fascinating business. Um, worth If any of our listeners want to reach out on Twitter and say, I've done a bit of work on it. Here's what I think. By all means, I'm just looking for clarity around the actual outlook and the pipeline. So, that's my kind of pitch at the end of the show. Anirban, um, do you have anything for us, or do you even do you know Ava Risk Group?
1: No, actually not. I thought it was fascinating the uh, the overview, and I think you know you're spot on in terms of not being able to forecast. This as hard. Do they have a backlog that they give, uh, or there's no? Uh, like, you know, backlog of contracts that the one that hasn't been, hasn't turned yet into revenue?
0: They give you, um I guess it's more like qualitative feedback. So they don't necessarily quantify exactly okay. how much is going to be this or whatever. They do have, they give you this much as we believe is recurring in nature, this much we don't. They have one big deal with the Indian um, Ministry of Defense and they actually just licensed this is the biggest deal they've ever done for the fiber technologies business. And they actually license that out. Um, So a a contractor in India actually implements the fiber, um, but they just effectively say, okay, so this is is actually the way it works. When we talk to them, this is the way they're describing it is, so we've got the software panel. This is as in I'm Ava Risk Group. We've got the software panel. We've got the credentials to make the network work. Once the contractor installs them, they send us a message to say, can you please activate it? And then that way, Ava can get paid. Um, uh-huh. So it's activated or well, not until it's they're, they're paid, do they activate it? And then they move on to the next segment of the of the line. And so this is a business that's had a big, big, big contract and they're looking to win more of these. But how do you know? My question is always, how do you know that another one of these is around the corner? Um, it's pretty hard to know unless they, they tell you. Like we think... This business is X size, and we think we can capture this much. But you know, I'm used to zero and Apple. recurring yeah. revenue. <laughs> <Yeah>. Intuit, <laughs> you know?
1: some form of recurring revenue. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting company, as you said. I think it is deserving of being on a watch list for further research. If somebody's interesting, I think that that's the right right call. I like, I like that. Hmm. I was going to give you a quick. I'll give you a stock, uh, a quick one. Um, I'll make it short in the interest of time. Um, so. the, The stock I'm going to pitch is a company called Okta. Uh, The code is O-K-T-A. If you are familiar with single sign-on, basically you can, for example, use uh, Google single sign-on or Apple single sign-on or Facebook single sign-on. Basically, you can use credentials at one place to sign on into multiple apps, websites, and things like that. That makes password management easy. Now, this seems like a easy, easy, relatively easy problem, but in a corporate context, this is really hard because corporates have, you know, and big enterprises might have thousands of apps that they're using internal and external. You want to have them managed using a corporate. Uh, password management, identity management system. Uh, And that identity management system is provided by Okta. It manages, you know, passwords. It manages the identity, make sure that only those people who should have access to certain apps have those access. If somebody leaves, then their access is terminated. It can do, you know, multi-factor authentication. It can, you know, prompt you to, you know, it seems like a relatively simple thing, but it's really, really important, especially in this sort of distributed global sort of way in which business is being done. I, I think, you know, This business of people always think, well, why should you use this versus, you know, why not use Google? And, you know, Google is a competitor. Maybe Microsoft is a competitor. But one of the things for enterprises is that they don't like using services from big tech, if they can avoid it, (laughs) Uh, especially for things that are critical, because big tech tends to, you know, some of the big tech at least tends to look at things, how you're doing things, and therefore you might be hesitant to use their particular services. So Octa is the specialist, and I think it has a big tailwind in terms of uh, an idea called Zero Trust, which is a framework for security, which basically says that you basically don't trust anyone, and we can talk about this another time. But... In that, one of the pillars of that of that framework is to have an identity management solution that can essentially ensure that zero trust is satisfied, uh, at least at the handshake level of ensuring that your access to applications. Right, and there are other components of it. So I think that's a big tailwind for um, for a company like Okta, in especially in the face of all the hacks that are happening. You know, the Solar Wind attack and. Um, you know, the attack mm. on um, a Microsoft Exchange and things like that. So I think in the context in the world, you know, or we talk about these, you know, we hear an AFR has these headlines about, you know, that hack happened and this hack happened. And, you know, the school websites were, for example, down not too long ago. A lot of the stuff that happens is compromise on machines, compromise on machines, typically compromise on passwords, happens mm. because of compromise on passwords. So, you know, um, and compromise on identity. So I think this company still has a long runway it's a relatively large company i think it's probably what about 35 odd you know again I'd say 35 yeah.
0: odd billion yeah, we'll in share market price around 40 32 32 us billion there
1: we go so without even looking at it I, you know pretty yeah, close well, 32 yeah. so i still think you know it's good it can still be a nice decent multibagger i do own the shares for this company so um, do i yeah
0: oh great um, well wow, excellent yeah, yeah. yeah we hopefully misery doesn't love company but um so interesting here um Todd McKinnon who's the CEO and co-founder when I saw him interviewed I thought he looks like he's about 25 and then he was on uh, is it mad money (laughs) and is it with Jim and he's uh, and he goes oh you're not many people know this but you're about as old as me and Jim's bald and and looks like an older guy and Todd if you've seen the photo of Todd McKinnon you know what I'm talking about um you know I don't I own Okta shares and um, I think that the deal with Ortho, which is a complementary business, pretty much developer-focused Ortho is any of our hardcore software engineers, know what I'm talking about. Um, I thought that was a really good deal that expands the TAM and also pretty much consolidates Okta as the number one in independent um, zero trust. But what what I find really fascinating about Okta is when you listen to the quarterly calls, just the clarity of the management team. I find, mm-hmm. it, I find it so refreshing um, to hear Todd and the team speak. And, you know, as investors, and if you go through uni and you study finance or whatever you're taught, you know, you've got to calculate the PE ratio. Is this what the profit's going to be? But at the end of the day, if you have someone, I think if you have someone like that running your company, it takes away a lot of that, those concerns that you can have. Um, and he's done lots of interviews. He did one with Invest Like The Best about how he built the business. Um, it's fascinating. And I think, yeah, beyond just single sign-on, people probably don't appreciate what that means. But um, basically, I think over seven thousand apps now integrate into Okta's workforce, so into Okta's um, platform. So, if you think about that, it's basically the hub where you go to get everything. Um, exactly. And that's that's pretty tremendous in terms of the ARPU, like the the cross sell, upsell potential of the business. Um, we don't use it because our business is so small, but I can definitely see a time where we would and a lot of businesses would be using it. So fascinating. Okta, cool. Uh,
1: okay, excellent. I did not know that you own the shares of this. Okay, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm, I'm we are exceeding time, but I'll give you this <laughs> okay. odd, uh, uh, I call it the Silicon Valley tree. Okay. okay, so this is the Silicon Valley tree. So you would observe a lot of the excellent second generation sort of SaaS companies, The mm-hmm. second generation as in the you know, Okta's generation, are from people who worked at high, High, held yeah. high-level positions at Salesforce. Yep. So uh, Todd uh, was, I think, leader of engineering or something like that yep. in, in VP Salesforce. Eng. Yep. Uh, VP Eng at Salesforce. Uh, and so Mark Benioff has the unique credentials of actually spinning off a lot of these people. Um, many a times what uh, Salesforce ventures have done, which is they have a venture, arm, um, they would mm. actually fund these companies, which I think is a really great culture. The other thing that people wouldn't know is that um, Salesforce has an app store, um, mm, or it's not called the app. Yeah. Uh, it's a, you know the marketplace or the app whatever it's something it's called. Uh, yeah. Is it it's called a marketplace or is it called the um, yeah or app exchange? Oh, up, I think it's called though. the Salesforce app. I think it's called the App Exchange or anyways again the specifics are probably not that important but so uh, benioff uh, i think looked up to steve jobs as you know as one of those leaders that you know you look up to like many people do um, i think benioff has worked at apple so benioff was actually had the luxury of seeing the iPhone before the iPhone was released. Like, you know, in a true Steve Steve Jobs passion, he would show it to his favorite people. Here's what I'm working on. This, I think, is really cool. This is going to change the world. And he mm-hmm. told Benioff that, hey, I'm going to, you know, going to have do this thing called the App Store. And Benioff looked at him and said, well, but how are you going to do the app store? That's a trademark that Salesforce owns. (laughs) And you know why Salesforce owns the trademark? It is because when Benioff was starting Salesforce, Steve Jobs told him, you should build this app store for all these apps on the web. (laughs) So it was an idea from Jobs to Benioff. So Benioff said, okay, you know, this was your idea. We can live with a different name. So we're going to give this as a gift from Salesforce to Apple for you to have wow. it for the iPhone. I think it's just pretty App exchange, powerful. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's pretty powerful. I think, you know, this uh, this idea of an ecosystem and of an ecosystem of players that, in, you know, inspire uh, each other, right? You know, so Jobs inspiring, you know, Benioff, Benioff inspiring all these other people. And you're not really jealous of these people because they're all successful, you know, it's like seeing your old children coming and, you know, doing great things. And even mm-hmm. maybe they're competing with you. And it's fantastic. I, I think I really like that. Uh, yeah. And so that's one of my, when I'm looking for a company, sometimes I actually look for these trees and I find this tree is very interesting. If you can find an interesting tree, it sort of talks to that
0: culture. And mm-hmm. it was, that was an aside. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, I own shares in Salesforce as well. So um, full disclosure that. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there are quite a few people that have come out of Salesforce and done a lot of things. So um, maybe we can spend a whole episode on that in the future. But mate, um, we're at 56 minutes. We said we'd keep it below 40. So we've done well. Um... <laughs> no, well, it's, it's always good to end with some 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 companies as well. So um, we talked about Ava Risk Group. We talked about LTM, We talked about Netflix, air quotes, missing expectations, um, Bezos going to space, the Delta variant and what that means and how maybe we can play that um talked about Okta and ended with Salesforce. Um so great mate as always it's a pleasure. Um if people want to find out more about you and if they want to access that payments um the digital payments report and also just join Seven Investing, how would they do that?
1: Oh, they could just go to uh seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe or they can follow the show notes below and get uh ten dollars off <laughs> using ten, ten the Rask off. Uh, ten buckaroos off of the using the Rask uh, Uh, promo code and as Mm -hmm. uh, Owen would say that Rask actually makes no money off it Uh, um, Mm -hmm. so uh, you know uh, Owen does it because he likes to and uh, we thank him for that
0: yeah yeah it's great well I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was an awesome service so um, I'm just appreciative you get to spend some time with me each week to share these insights so mate always appreciated. And um, yeah, we look forward to hearing from everyone else on Twitter. If you've you've got some thoughts for us next week, give us some links to pop into our spreadsheet so we can talk about them. Um, We put these in this morning. I should say I didn't put them in, the other half did. Um, So um, yeah, always a pleasure, mate. Thanks for chatting.
1: Thanks for the chat.